0: Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. If you can, open up your Bibles. We're going to start from Nehemiah. And um, this, this series is going to last about two months. And we're going to go through two chapters pretty much every week. And so some homework for you, if you haven't already. I know we prefaced it last week and possibly the week before that we're doing Nehemiah. Read through a couple of chapters every week in your quiet time. Do it several times, if you will. Uh, feel free to add it to your to your reading at the moment and then you're prepped and ready to go. And, you know, if you want to, you can even read ahead. Well, there you go. So you know where we're heading. And uh, Nehemiah, it, actually to set the scene here, Nehemiah... Uh, Uh, was for many years written as part of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah as one document. So if you want to get some context, read Ezra as well. And this is basically a historical narrative, okay? So uh, just over 400 years before Christ came to the world, before Jesus was born, um, there was 400 years of silence. This is one of the... the, in, in, in this um era where we're reading Ezra and Nehemiah this is one of the last times we'll hear about God speaking and working through his people in such a powerful way so we're setting the scene here for this is our historical background this is our ancestors this is this is our family tree about 4 to 450 years before Jesus was born there was silence and and, and basically the next thing we hear are angels singing when Jesus was born. Outside of that, it was pretty quiet for a long time. So, in in Ezra and Nehemiah, it, it really is about this, this, this conversation about rebuilding. There is, in the first part of the book of Ezra, there is a champion by the name of Zerubbabel. It's a bit of a mouthful, say that fast five times. Zerubbabel, 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 Zerubbabel. And uh, he was used by God... To um, uh, call the people of God back and to restore and rebuild the temple. And the last part of Ezra, um, the champion mentioned there is Ezra. And he was called and used by God to help rebuild the, uh, the community of God. And um, uh, it really is, an, and, and also point them back to the Torah. So, again, this theme of rebuilding. Move on, on to the next book being Nehemiah. Obviously, it's about Nehemiah and this is about rebuilding the walls. And um, this theme about rebuilding, it's, it's important for us to understand, even in Ezra and Nehemiah, we're going to explore the next couple of months about Nehemiah. Nehemiah pops up a lot, but with our, when, when we open our Bibles, even when we look at historical texts like this, It tells us something about what's happened, but ultimately it tells us about Him. It tells us about God. This is a story about God. He is the central figure here. It's it's about Him. Nehemiah we'll read about is is a foreshadowing of Jesus. When we read the Old Testament, look for Jesus. He's in there. Nehemiah is a type of Christ. He is moved by the plight of his people and it, it brings him to tears. We'll read that in a second. He is taken to a place of prayer. We'll, we'll read this in chapter 1. is taken before authorities, but then he actually does something about it, and there's this rebuilding process that takes place. Now, this morning, my assignment is to talk to you about this, uh, th- th- this topic that I've called Heart Matters. Heart Matters. Heart Matters. Before you build, the heart matters. Before we actually see physical construction take place, and we can read that in chapter 3 and so forth, but before any of that happens, I want us to have a look at the heart of a man. Maybe you've come this morning and you're feeling as though you, you're you in need of a rebuilding process yourself. Maybe you feel like your life's been under construction for many years, maybe even decades. Praise God for that. More important than construction of physical walls and the reparation of physical walls, even the reparation or the reconstruction of gates, are the structures and the gates of our hearts. Really important. And so with that, I I, want to start from chapter 1 of Nehemiah and I'm going to read um, pretty much the first chapter and then I'm going to read part of the second chapter. Are you ready with me? Okay, you got your Bibles? I'm going to be reading from the ESV this morning. And uh, as, as we go through and read these first four verses, I want you to um, pay attention to these two words, heavy heart, heavy heart. There is a heavy heart that Nehemiah has, as we read. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Verse 3, this is important. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah inquires. He is given an update. And the update is there's a remnant of Israel. They're in exile, meaning they're on the run, um, and they're in trouble. Great trouble and they're in shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse 4, this is where the heavy heart comes in, as soon as I heard these words I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and uh, praying before the God of heaven. Have you ever been given some information that has caused you such trauma that you've just stopped in your tracks? And you've just, you just to sit in that moment. Perhaps you've not known what to do in that moment. Well Nehemiah had this moment, he was informed about his people, his countrymen, who he was far from and we'll read that Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was in the presence of greatness, he was informed about his, his people that he loved, that they were having a hard time and that the city that he loved was run down being mocked, laughed at. There was derision as a word we'll, we'll, we'll read into later. And he just sat and he wept. The days. But we all would have that moment for something or another. If you haven't already been gripped by something like that in your life just yet, you give it time. There will be something that grips you. It could be a loved one around you. It could be a child. It could be a, a parent. It could be a neighbor. It could be a best friend. And, 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 and you might be told of some information that is that's just too much for you. The question is, what will you do about it? That's the question. It all starts with a God-given burden. That's where it always starts. Any great move of God, when he moves through you, it will start through a burden in your life. It will start with a heavy heart. Why does God do that? Why does he work like that? Because God, is our Father, is a heart man. He, 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 he's, a, he's one who wants to connect with the heart. When he leads you, when he disciples you, he doesn't just instruct you or tell you what to do. He disciples and shepherds the heart. And so, you look throughout history, or you look around about you, even in this room, people that you may know, um, people that have done clearly things that are beyond themselves. There would be a burden, a heavy heart at some point, something would touch their hearts in a deep level that caused them to do something. I was sitting down with, with Garfield Thompson uh, just a couple of days ago. Garfield Thompson uh, and Sue Thompson I mentioned are coming to, um, to Zambia with us to visit our church over there. And Garfield uh, and Sue were sitting down and just before we are praying, he, we were talking about this thing about burden, about having a heavy heart and Garfield, for those that don't know actually, um, Garfield and two other people, Paul Trinder and Peter Havel, uh, started Altar One, the Altar One school ministry. Altar One now is in states around Australia, it's, it's, it's growing at a ridiculous rate. But they were talking with me as Garfield was sharing, I could see the burden that he had many years ago, you know, coming up to 20 years ago, and it came at a significant personal cost to him. Now things are great and now we talk about, well, kids are being helped and served and ministered, families are being connected with, it's in this suburb, it's in, it's in that city, it's in that part of Australia. But th- there are people that paid a price. And as Garfield was sharing with me, I could see in his eyes as he was sharing with me the personal cost that it took on him almost 20 years ago financially, emotionally, physically. Why? Because he had a burden to help young children that were struggling in schools and families connected to those children. It was too much for him to ignore. He had too much of a heart for children and families that were hurting and struggling that he had to do something about it. And now, Altar One is just looking to take over the world. It's fantastic how many lives are being touched, but it all began with a burden. What burden, what God-inspired burden is sitting in your heart? What What is it that bothers you? What is it that just... is an overwhelming burden for homeless people, is an overwhelming burden to help single mums that are struggling with their kids, is an overwhelming burden to help people out of poverty or to help migrants as they come into to Australia to teach them to learn English. I don't know what that burden is, maybe it's, it's, it's not like that, maybe it's something like helping business-minded folks succeed, perhaps it's more political in nature that you want to help politicians and leaders, perhaps it's, what is it that you feel is a God-inspired burden that you're carrying? What bothers you? Martin Luther King, we all know him for his speech, called what? I have a I have a plan. It wasn't I have a plan, was it? It was I have a dream. Because the dream precedes the plan. We like the idea of the plan, but it's all about the dream. It's about what we see, what we feel, what has us. Do you know when when, uh, Martin Luther King, he had that famous speech, we know maybe 30, 60 seconds of that speech, but that was about a 14-minute speech that he was reading from. That was a planned speech. And and a friend from the crowd, actually, mid-speech, says, tell us about the dream. Tell us about your dream. And so he then, off the cuff, starts to tell about this dream. And this is what he says. I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It's a deep, deeply rooted dream in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out of the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of the character. I have a dream today. Now for us, it might be hard to fathom what it would be like for an African-American man to come up and say that in the age that he said it, but there was extreme racism that took place. He was carrying this burden from a young age. A couple of stories as he was growing up his father would take him to a, uh, a shop store. This is, this is a historical, uh, one of his stories. At one point took him to a store and as he was there ready to pay for his shoes, the store owner says, you've got to go to the back of the queue and even to the back of the store. His father got so angry by that that he was being treated unfairly after waiting that long queue that he left. Another story, another Example, his father sent him to a school, an African-American school, and back then they had coloured schools and there would be a friend of his that he had uh, lived in the same area that went to a white school. They were in separate schools, they became best friends. But as they went to separate schools as best friends, there came a point where the, young boys, uh, the other young boy's father, was a business owner, then said, I don't want our children being friends anymore and it was because of the colour of their skin. And, and this is another example where Martin Luther was so hit by this burden of racism that it sat with him. He eventually became a Baptist minister, serving people and he stood up. I mean, he was against segregationism to this point where we're now talking about a dream that he had. He articulated a dream because there was a burden that he was carrying. And can I just say, friends, if you are carrying a burden, carry it well. And ask God, God, is you, have you put this here? What do you want me to do about it? This guy, Nehemiah, this whole book starts right here. Nehemiah hears about what's happening to his people. And it hits him. he has a heavy heart but importantly he then has an open heart. It's important for us to see that momentum is birthed in the bedrock of prayer. He wept and he mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying I love how he took ownership. I love how he took ownership of himself and his people. Here's a word for some of you. Write it down. Take ownership. Take responsibility. Don't hide things from God. If it's at all possible for you to own up to something, own up to it. Talk to God about it. Because (laughs) when God sees humility in our hearts, he says, okay, I'm paying attention. He continues, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're dispersed, be under the father's skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And we read there, it says, now I was cupbearer, to the king. We can read in in verse 1 of chapter 2, it then goes on, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of king Artaxerxes, etc., etc., things followed. But he was praying and he was seeking God for four months. There was a period of four months. It wasn't four minutes. It was four months. He had a burden that he carried from God that was a heavy heart and then he had an open heart before his God. And we see this great pattern here in his prayer. There was recognition, there was a reminding, there was a repentance and then there was a requesting. The recognition was on the greatness of God, it was God who, it was God who's got to help them get out of this mess. It was a reminding, a reminding of God of His Word, important, very important. We can't He knew the Word of God he prayed from the Word of God. He quoted from the Word of God, from Exodus and Deuteronomy chapter 9. That's the, he said, remember God, remember your people, remember your promises. Then there was a repentance, we see, for the sins of his people. And then there, there, there this request that came last. It wasn't first, it was last. And this whole stage here, I, I fear at times I miss this out. Just being honest with you. God moves on my heart, and I act too quickly to get stuff done. Nehemiah didn't do that. His heart was heavy, and the first thing he did was he birthed it in prayer. He birthed it in prayer. And then we're going to read in the coming weeks about amazing things that took place, and time lapses that were ridiculous, reparations, of not just walls, but of people and community. I mean, this is phenomenal what we read about, but it was birthed in the Spirit. See, I don't know about you. I I don't want things to just birth in the natural. They've got to be birthed in the heavenlies first. And I can't birth things in the Spirit if I'm not in the Spirit. So, with what God has placed in your heart, take it to Him. Take it to Him. Reflect on His goodness and His faithfulness. Reflect on the Word of God. Reflect on your part in that process and then put your request in. See, this was so important. This whole prayer thing was important. Four months of prayer because we can read in chapter 2 and I will turn there actually. There's this dialogue that happens when He's presented before the King Um, The king asked Nehemiah, what is it that you actually want? What do you want? The cupbearer. You, cupbearer, what what, 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 what is your request that you're putting to me? And then, uh, Nehemiah, he knows of the bigness of his God. Verse 4, king says, "What what are you requesting? What are you requesting? What are you requesting? At that moment, it says, what did he do? I prayed. He was asked the question and then he prayed and then he said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in your sight, number one, that you send me to Judah. Number two, that I may rebuild it. Number three, if it pleases the king, we read in verse 7, that letters be given to me to give to the governors of the province. And number eight, in verse 8 it says, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he can give me timber. They didn't give me materials. We can read in verse 8, it says, and the king granted what he had asked, for the good hand of God was upon me, he says. Let's think of that for a second. This king actually decreed a stopping, you can read previously, he actually stopped the construction of these walls. This This same ruler was responsible for allowing the place to run down for derision against God's people. And all of a sudden, this man named Nehemiah, who was carrying a burden, went to God understanding the power of his God says, "You know what? If I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask big. Would you not only send me back to that city, can I go and repair that? Well, I want to go and I want to do a rebuilding process. And by the way, can you send me letters of confirmation? And not just letters of approval of what's going on. Letters that will allow me To have the materials to build what I want to build. (laughs) We're going to build a wall and we're going to make the Persians pay for it. You can just imagine this, some slowly, slowly getting there, slowly, slowly, slowly. I mean the, the gall of this guy, and not only did the king allow that to take place, we can read that the king sent protection sent officers. I mean, really? It was in the quiet place with God that he gained the confidence, the inner peace, the inner boldness to say, hey, hang on a second, hang on a second. If God decrees this, if this is his promises, I'm going to stand on those promises and I'm going to ask because my dad runs the ship. My dad runs the universe. I don't know if you've heard it or not, but my dad runs the universe. Have you ever asked for something bold just because you've got just this, this, this deep faith about it? A God-given faith? Some of you are holding faith that is unshakable, and you've been holding on to it for years. Kudos to you, and don't let go. Keep at it. Since we're talking about Nehemiah, let's talk about physical construction things here. This building, for me, is an example of us being a little bit bold. For years, God gave us this inner conviction that we wanted to serve the community. We wanted a space big enough to meet the needs of the community, to feed them, to distribute clothes. We started doing that in portions in our old building in Westchester Road. We had that that, that sense of, oh, there's this burden, we've got to do something more. There was also this burden to have something that could facilitate something greater for other churches. Kingdom perspective. Now look at us. I was talking to Harry Bezetus the other day, and we're thinking, isn't it amazing how good God is to us? His faith. But do you know what? We held on to that for a while. And there came a point where we almost sold that building and it would have been a good price too for 1.7 million that the, the people were potentially looking to pay for us 1.7 million which would have been fantastic a cash unconditional sale of that old building in Westchester Road that would have been a miracle but there was something there was something that was unshakable there was a faith that we had in our God We turned around and said you could have it for 2.15 million and we got it for $2.15 million. And we got this building for 10% more. It's more than twice the size. Are you kidding me? That's because my dad has the cattle of a thousand hills. And so we can be bold. So if we have a big God, ask big. If you want bigger things in your life, get a bigger vision of God. So Nehemiah had a burden. His heart was heavy, but his heart was open. He took it to God. And we see, though, that his heart was tested. We'll read this more and more. He he had people question him. He had people oppose him. But the tested heart is so good, you know, God wants our heart to be tested because authority develops in the testimony and the testing. You know, Mother Teresa was this Bulgarian nun, called to which nation? India. This sweet little old lady till the very end was looking after people that didn't have a place to go to, to live. Didn't have food, didn't have clothing. She just did it. She had a burden from Europe, not knowing the language but just knowing her God. God given a burden on her heart that she wrestled with Him in prayer and so she just went out there and did it. We read, even with Nehemiah, it says in verse 11, it says, So I went to Jerusalem. I just went. If it's going to be, it's up to me. If God's given you a burden, don't try and put it on someone else. You do something about it. If you've got a burden for something in this church family, stop complaining to me about it. Keep going. And, you know, we do get deep concerns for things. And it's often in our overwhelming concern that our eternal calling is powerfully clarified. I wonder if if what bothers you incredibly on the inside, what eats you up, I wonder if that might tell you about your calling. And it may not be your neighbour's calling, maybe it's yours. This Mother Teresa lady just had a heart for the destitute and the dying. They have centres around India for disease-ridden people, people that are dying, destitute, that, that... that you can go to these hospices, these places now, and they will take care of you knowing that you're on the last legs of life on this earth. Why? Because it's just a matter of dignity. That's what it was for Mother Teresa, just a place of dignity. She started it by herself, and slowly people started to get around her, and they said, we see what you're building, may we rise and build with you. Because her heart was so open and overwhelming, That people caught it. Even though she did have opposition. And we might think in the natural what can one person do? Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer. There's that word derision or shame. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Verse 19, but, circle it, pay attention to the big buts of scripture. But when Sanballat, the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant and Geshem, the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against this king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So two things, importantly, Remember the faithfulness of God and don't be quiet about it. What did Nehemiah say as he's he's casting the vision to his fellow men? He says, hey, guys, you see the trouble we're in. Come on, let's do something about it. God's hand is on me. God's hand is on this. Let's get going. He's been good to us. And he's promised that he'll bring us back together. Remember the faithfulness of God. and Don't be quiet about it. What's your testimony? How has he been faithful to you? Think about it. It's easy to talk about what's not working. Have the glasses half full. Areas of your life that you feel are just sucky. And messed up, and the walls have come down and the gates have been. but look at the faithfulness of God. Focus on the faithfulness of God, and look, where is God's hand upon you? Do you believe it or not? And don't shut up about it. Keep going. And remember the burden you're carrying. <laughs> That's going to help you when you have the naysayers. especially Christian naysayers. Can I tell you in all seriousness, some of my biggest critics have been Christians. It's funny that it's the Christians that we expect more of. I don't know why that is. It's, 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 it hurts a little bit more when it comes from brothers and sisters, doesn't it? So we can learn twofold from this. Number one, be careful about mocking others When they're clearly carrying a burden. Be careful about derision, but if you're on the receiving end of it, let it be fuel to the fire, because the testing of your heart is what builds resilience and clarifies conviction. Here's a guy who's not known for his faith in God, but known for his creativity around the world. Can we put this picture up, please, Wes? Does anyone know who this is? Walt Disney, renowned for movies all around the world. My kids love the, the Disney movies and Disney World and Disneyland. And that's what we remember him for, but you know he was under some opposition early on, don't you? Well-known Opposition. In Kansas City Star in 1919, he was fired because his editor said he lacked imagination and no good ideas. Isn't that interesting? Walt Disney, known for his imagination and good ideas, was fired from a particular job for his lack of it. He was come against his creativity and his imagination. But I wonder if it was that very opposition that helped project him. See, I wonder if, if your opposition can project you. I wonder if the testing of your heart is what's going to help you work with God and build something incredible. So instead of waving the fist at God for allowing your heart to be tested questioning your integrity or your plans, your purpose. Maybe, God, maybe in your providence you're doing something even greater. As we finish this um, this final verse is so important. I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. He will. He will. He will make us prosper. This morning here is a call for us to remind ourselves. Remind ourselves, not God. I find when I remind God of certain things, I'm really just reminding myself. It's not like He's forgotten. But may we remind ourselves that He's faithful. He's the faithful one. It's Him. It's His goodness. It's His providence. It's His sovereignty. He knows what He's doing. And I've just got to bow the knee in my heart. And the work may be great, but we'll, we'll, we'll explore this later. With Him, miracles can happen. He will make us prosper. Do you know what the name Nehemiah actually means? It means Yahweh comforts. Yahweh comforts. Nehemiah, a foreshadowing of Jesus, was one who came to the rescue, who sought after his God and had a mission to accomplish of rebuilding, of restoration. And through him, God comforted.